well, actually, I think same day ACH is going to be in trouble. Um, just they kind of pricing out self, themselves out of market. Now, same day ACH today at least have um, ubiquity, right? Every bank account that I can I can reach via same day ACH. I think RTP is in the early days. Uh, I think TCH or RTP by TCH claims that they have about 65% reach. Um, it depends on the demographics that a company or an enterprise servicing. If you look at the fairly established folks that tend to bank with the big financial institutions, then RTP probably will provide you with sufficient coverage. If you think about folks who are uh, banks with credit unions and beyond, more regional players, uh, a lot of those banks today do not participate in RTP. Therefore, you back to ACH if the if the consumer chosen ultimately the form factor of bank account and the routing number. Welcome to the Tearsheet Podcast. I'm Tearsheet's editor in chief, Zach Miller. What I continue to find interesting is that the fintech tech stack peels away like an onion. Even the innovators have third party innovation under the hood. Sometimes it's two, three, four levels deep. And joining me on the podcast today is Tim Astonov. SVP Product Commercialization and Partnerships at Tabapay. Tabapay is one of those companies that power payments for the fintech innovators like SoFi, Remitly, Melio, and others. It offers direct access to 15 banking partners, 14 networks, multiple geographies, and products and features in a unified API. Tim has an awesome background, and previous to his current position, he was head of P2P in North America for Visa Direct and had important roles at Discover and Amex. We talk about the challenges and opportunities moving money in and out of bank accounts. Tim shares his views on the impact real-time payments will have on the industry and its monetization efforts. Lastly, we look to some of the biggest trends in the industry as a North Star, pointing where things are headed. Tim Astonov is my guest today on the Tearsheet Podcast. Gen Z is complex. And to serve this generation that grew up on Netflix and Amazon, will require financial institutions to improve their experience. The thing is that, by and large, banks haven't kept up. 83% of Gen Z surveyed say they are dissatisfied with the experience provided to them by their primary FI. That leaves an opportunity for brands. Brands of all sorts, from retail to transportation, are already embedding financial services into their offerings. This has the power to add new revenue streams, provide solutions to customers right at their point of need, create deeper, stickier relationships with their customers, and move out of the sea of sameness so common in many industries. 50% of younger users today don't have a bank account with a traditional bank. That's a great opportunity for brands to step in and service Gen Z. Learn how top brands are using embedded finance to increase engagement and boost revenues in new research published by Tearsheet in collaboration with modern issuer Marketa, whose platform is an end-to-end -end offering that combines modern card issuing and banking as a service. This new research addresses what Gen Z really is looking for from financial service providers, how traditional banks and payment firms are missing the mark with today's consumers, four different opportunities to serve Gen Z with Bass, and how brands have an opportunity to win the hearts and minds of younger generations. Go to tearsheet.co slash trust shift to download the report. That's tearsheet.co slash T-R-U-S-T-S-H-I-F-T to get the new research. Yeah, so my name is Tim Astanov. Um, I run commercialization activity for Tabapay. Um, where Tabapay is an instant payment platform, ultimately focused on servicing financial technology companies, uh, as well as uh, traditional FIs 
uh, with all things money movement. And why do uh, fintechs or FIs need help with money movement? Yeah, I think in the in the past decade or so, uh, as technology evolved, and we used to as consumer to I don't know download a movie in a second or stream music. Um, we're starting to see, or we've started to see, uh, pr- probably. 10 years ago as a payment industry, the need for speed ultimately, um, especially in a number of different verticals where you predominantly rely on ACH or legacy ACH rails. Mm-hmm. Um, I think consumers' demand has shifted and ultimately they want to see transparency as well as speed as well, uh, as well as speed. And when I'm referring to speed is more around uh, speed to money or time to money. I think I've heard a number of phrases that used in the industry. Um, so that's what's ultimately what's, uh, how TaboPay came to fruition. Our original, um, our, co- our co-founder team, uh, we have three co-founders. They all um, spent quite a bit of years actually in the payment industry. And um, the, the, the previous company, they actually sold to MasterCard. That company was focused on a disbursement site, and I, I think they came to realization that fintech, in generally, uh, in general, being very underserved, um, push payments. Uh, I would I would argue in the payment space, low risk payments, and even then it was a challenge. Um, once they sold the company to Mastercard, they ultimately decided to recreate to an extent um, a similar engine or platform with the objective not only to power push side, but also um, but also support a pull side. And when I say pull, it's think of ACH debit, request for payment and RTP, think of um, the traditional uh, acquiring business, uh, card acceptance. Uh, there's a, there's in, in the network world, there's at least three type of transactions, main transactions um, that uh, are leveraged by uh, merchants or originators, however you're gonna call them. Um, and all those transactions ultimately supported by a platform. There are two specific ones, such as, uh, as industry knows, quasi-cash or account funding transactions, where we predominantly play, uh, given the, given who we serve. Um, anyway, they ended up um, building a platform, which now it's known as TaboPay, uh, that does both sides of the equation. So think of any use cases, let's say, um, like loan disbursement, an example, or loan, a lending lending platform of some kind. Um, at some point, they need to they need to pay, create a, a disbursement ultimately to let's say if I apply for a small business loan, I need to be able to money to get money into my bank account. So uh, we power transactions that requires uh, an originator in this case, a loan originator to to send money to me, and then at some point they have to collect it back, whether it's a recurring collections and etc. So we will power both sides of the equation, and if consumer it's a single credentials that I have to ultimately link to my account. Uh, let's say it's a debit card, uh, the money go in and then, uh, so I use it as I need it uh, for my personal expenses or business expenses. And at some point, uh, once a month, ultimately the lender will will collect the funds, um, the principal amount plus the interest. So any flows like this, where we can enable both sides of the equation, we ultimately, we do push as well as pull. Um, think of P2P use case account to account, also known as me-to-me use cases, um, and every single flavor. Got it. Thank you for that introduction. So um, sure. you mentioned a couple, Tim, a couple of the use cases today. Maybe we can talk about like collections. I have to imagine that that's, that's an important and growing one for you in, given this uh, macro economy. 
Yeah, I mean, lending is uh, probably represent close to quarter of our business and uh, in all of its flavors, right? Both uh, the lending platform that serve for banks that serve consumers as well as SMBs. I think we've seen spike on both sides. Um, I don't necessarily know if it's um, I, I, at this point whether we see a significant increase given the interest rates. Um, we, we continue to see the same growth that we've seen three years ago when there were plenty of liquidity in the market. Um, but um, lending has been doing really well. Uh, we've, we've expanded in the recent year or so into new, new verticals, um, such as, let's say, tipping, digital tipping specifically. Um, it's came out of nowhere. And I think that COVID contributed to that, to be honest with you, because no one cares cash anymore. Imagine the use case where you, you want to tip a valet driver. Um, hence, since we don't have cash anymore, it's as simple as you can tap a, an acceptance device of some sort in EMV that ultimately will uh, will push out a notification to your phone. You open the phone, you link, you pay with your Google Pay or Apple Pay, whatever whatever device you're using, um, five dollars, and it's a preset amount. You can also leave the rating. It's almost like an Uber experience. You can leave the rating to the valet driver ultimately. As well as uh, think of software that sits on the on the back end that calculates that know exactly who was who was servicing me or my valet driver, um, knows exactly how much the valet driver earned for the day, and then ultimately evaluating uh, making available for them depending on the financial situation. Do you want to get paid on demand? Do you want to pay it in this, some sort of cyclical way, whether it's a payroll and etc. So one connection of the tipping platform ultimately will connect to Tabo Pay, and we provide the infrastructure layer to support all payments, regardless of the form factor the consumers actually want, whether it's a bank account or a card in today's environment, at least. And what's the company's like geographic um, coverage? Um, because we were focused on, uh, so we have kind of uh, two type of, or maybe even three type of business units within this, within our company. And think of who we serve. Uh, with a fintech friendly bank, we have roughly 16 or so on our platform. We cover U.S. and Canada in today's mm -hmm. world. In Canada, in the United States, in a banking space, they're all over the place, all over the nation. Uh, these are traditional banks. If you look at the fintechs, I think it's primarily East Coast and West Coast, at least today. Um, the geographical split pre predominantly on the west, west coast at the moment. Um, and then if you look at the, uh, the third layer where we gain, we, we're leveraging infrastructure for ISOs and, and registered payfacts. Uh, in that case, it's again, it's kind of, it depends on the location of the institution, but ultimately it's broadly all over the United States. I hear that. And um, you mentioned before that you're seeing volumes grow, um, particularly in lending. Is is that through Tabapay's are you getting deeper into customer accounts and getting more of their business? Um, are you getting yeah, new business? I'm just curious if that's organic or that's repetitive business. Um, it, it, a lot of it is organic. A lot of it is net mm -hmm. new. Um, and it's not just lending. We see it across the board. Um, lending is, again, as I mentioned, roughly represent a quarter of our volume. But um, uh, anything related to think of, if you think about asset, uh, asset to liability account, which will be lending, Asset to asset is actually a high growth, and there are plenty of different verticals where we we, we move money between two asset accounts. So think of uh, a debit account and a debit account. Uh, we see a, a huge path of growth there as well. Uh, I think as as digital players trying to enable this real time experience and taking money away from ACH, and the more shift happens to RTP as well as uh, as well as cardable transaction, uh, we see high growth there. Um, that being said. 
uh, we tip to answer your question, we we've seen in an organic way at least what we we started to see probably about four years ago. Or so um, because of what we bring to the table, and ultimately think of TavaPay as a as a one unified API that you you can access and create any transactions that, uh, through any rails that are available in the United States. You can add on value add services on top of it, and it all has built in multi tenancy. Um, the platform itself. So when you start, let's assume we're talking about um, on-demand payroll. So many customers started with, or are also known as early or earned wage companies. Yeah. Um, many of those firms starting with push. So they want to deliver money in real time to a consumer, um, whether it's a, being in a car transaction, a push to cart or RTP, push to account. Then slowly they pivoting in and say, well, we need to also have subscription fees. Uh, we need to collect, we need to be somehow collect the subscription fees. Well, guess what? It's the same unified API. You're just simply sending a different message saying instead of sending a push, now you need to you know, now you need to create a pool of some sort. So we um, one of those earlier three transaction type that I mentioned. So we've um, that's that's the second use case. And the third use case will be then all we see the aspirations of many fintechs getting into, I'm going to call it the digital banking space or new bank space, whether they providing a high yield savings account or typical transactional spend checking account. Um, in all cases, then they all of a sudden need an account funding transaction because they want to make sure that the, the, the accounts are funded in real time. Then they need to enable uh, pay instant withdrawals um, because we are focused primarily on instant. We absolutely offer ACH kind of uh, must have at this point. But um, uh, ultimately, with the shift to real time, we started to see with every single player, existing, um, existing, existing customers, that they start to expand from one to another, to third, to fourth, and the fifth product or solution that we offer. Um, the most recent one that we've launched, it's not quite launched yet, but it's about to go live. Um, we partner with Visa on the product called Visa Plus. I don't know if you've heard of it or not. That meant Yeah, that tell us more, more about it. We, we wrote a little bit about it. Yes. Yeah, so so um, the way I typically articulated the design, the product was designed with certain controls in place and economics um, to um, to create a bigger P2P space. Um, and what I mean by that is they first thing first, they went after uh, PayPal and Venmo, which are, uh, this is public information, um, who is going to those two firms or two brands, I guess, going to participate in the. Um, in a Visa Plus, and what it ultimately will do is to create uh, you as a PayPal user, let's say, will be able to send money to a Venmo user, which previously could not be could not be done. Mm -hmm. um, and it all comes down to uh, we call it the alias directory. Um, as a, whoever owns the alias directory, uh, ultimately uh, will control the the payment flows and, and and the traffic. And in order for you to participate, let's say, if I were to send you fifty bucks, you need to you need to be able to, you have to register with a Venmo, let's assume I'm a Venmo user, mm -hmm. uh, in order for us to transact with each other. Uh, what Visa Plus does, it's think of it as a, almost like a master layer of directories, of so multiple directories uh, combined into one, where they create a public uh, public token. And a, let's say public token in case of Venmo, I'm going to give you just a simple example. Uh, so Tim Astanov at uh, dot Venmo. So now I can share the public credential with anyone. So no PCI scope, nothing sensitive about it. It's a think of it as a digital token that's enabled to receive funds. Now I can send it to you because you're pay, let's say you're a PayPal user in this case without asking you to register with Venmo. 
it's as simple as I'm going to send you this my my private token, and you out of PayPal infrastructure or app, you will be able to send money to me. It's almost like a wallet of wallets, I guess. From that, it's a wallet to wallet. Yeah. It's an app yeah. to app. The, the only difference they 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 it seems like they laser focus on a P2P space because clearly there's a lot of volume in a P2P space. Um, but by creating this interoperability among all players, all P2P players. Um, it will create, uh, in my mind at least, it will continue to expand the volumes across the networks, uh, across the real-time payments um, verticals, and as well as, um, I don't know, I've, I've run P2P um, at Visa in my previous life, and um, we've seen a number of, uh, we've seen a number of small AFIs or fintechs who were trying to get in, but realizing that it's extremely hard in, com in a competitive space. Simply because those alias directories already pretty much cover everyone in the United States who is willing to uh, participate in B2B. So it's, it, it's very challenging place to break in, yet at the same time, they also understand that it's, it's necessary to build something to be able to offer to the customer. So this Visa Plus, in my mind, not only creates interoperability among existing players, but it's also uh, expands the pie by allowing new entrants to actually come in and play ball, P2B ball, uh, using this single uh, public token that anyone can enable. There, and so what's Tabapay's role in that initiative? And and yeah, I guess my second question, are there other initiatives that are similar going on as well? Um, similar, I think this is very unique. Uh, I'm not sure how long Visa has been working on this, but it's, um, uh, it has a whole lot of promise. Um, we are working on a couple of other projects with, uh, we, we, at the moment, again, because of our focus on, um, on the real-time payments, we, we are going to partner with, with Fed now. Um, it's not public yet, but we are coding to it. There's not, nothing to be secretive about it. And ultimately, our job is to expand, uh, allow any fintech or financial institution to access any rails available in the United States at the minimum, or North America, that's our aspirations. Um, and uh, our participation in Visa Plus specifically is today we send transactions to, again, account, to card credentials. That's a net new form factor, ultimately, that we're going to enable. So any fintech that resides on our platform ultimately can request to participate and um, being able to send to any, I'm going to call it a pay name or Visa Plus participant on the issuing side. Tim, I, I guess as as we're getting you know into the meat of our conversation, like, we we talk about a lot of RTP and and you know we have we've had we've written about sort of all these different um, whether they're software players or banks themselves preparing you know for for the FedNow program particularly to go live like what what do you see as sort of the early use cases there and 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 how is RTP and real time payments in general I'm not asking about that specific network but how is that going to impact life I guess for, within the financial services industry what's going to change. Um, uh, as a, I, I think there are a couple of different changes for, for anyone, for originators, and I'm going to call institutions that actually own enterprises that originate transactions, um, real time means high risk, right? right? There's one thing when I send something via ACH, it takes a while to clear. Um, you can know it's a batch process. So there is a, there is a rule, there's tools you can put in place to mitigate any fraud. Uh, I think with real time, it's substantially harder to do so. And, uh, for originators, um, they need to be aware of that and ultimately prepare themselves for, for real-time payments. 
um, for a consumer, there's a whole lot of benefit. Uh, and a, but actually, let me go back to the originators. But there's also an opportunity to monetize, right? So if we see, if let's take P2P as an example, uh, for those of us who use cash apps and Venmo's of the world, uh, anytime we need to send money to, let's say, if I were to send you money, it's actually a free transaction to me because their job is to capture the flows, to capture deposits. At some point, especially in a stage P2P, as I call it, because there's a, some sort of stored value account or wallet account that sits on your name within one of those apps. When I send you money, now money end up in one of your accounts. And at some point, you need to do something with that money. You, you can choose to keep it there. You can choose to use a card associated with a wallet and spend it and buy coffee or whatever else might be. Or you can choose to take money out of the ecosystem, right? So let's say if we see Cash App as an example, uh, if you take money out of Cash App, or as a matter of fact, any other stage P2P play, player, um, they will charge you for real-time access to funds. So you can choose to go to take money out to put it back to your Bank of America or Chase, whoever you bank with. Um, but ACH is free, which means it will take a couple of days. You have you're not going to be able to access the funds over the weekends. Nature of the payment, legacy payments. Um, with real time, if you're in a pinch and you need to get money right away, um, you can actually pay a small premium for it and take the money out. So uh, for any fintech or, or any enterprise that actually engage with real time payments, uh, there's two things that they need to, at the core, they need to look at. Um, A is um, the risk profile of the customer. Ultimately, with a strong KYC, there's no issues. Um, uh, the second one is you can monetize those transactions. And the third, at least in the United States, it's became a kind of market norm. Um, and the third thing, I think, if you look at purely enabling real time, which translates to the consumer benefit as well, um, is just, a, again, consumer demand has changed. Uh, I, I do not want to wait for my payments for three days, especially when it hits the weekends. Um, I actually want access to my funds immediately. This is my money. That's how mm -hmm. most consumers believe. And um, so it's a satisfaction of the customer with the customer ultimately uh, increase the satisfaction rates. Um, hopefully, if I have all those functionalities and availability to access my funds in real time, I'll do more business with uh, with uh, with originator. On a consumer side, I mean, I just moved money from one account to another account. And this, this is this is actually a real story here. I did it yesterday. Um, I move money from, I bank with one of the largest institutions in the United States. And as we all know, they tend not to pay anything for deposits. And uh, with the increased interest rates, there are plenty of providers that actually offer you quite rich um, um, uh, interest rates. So I moved money basically from a zero savings account to and a savings account that actually was offering, uh, I, I think, 4.5, which is quite, quite rich in these mm -hmm. days. Um, and I had to move a decent amount of chunk of money. When I did that, it happened to be, I think, on Thursday night. So it was past hours. Um, then I have to check, did it hit on Friday or not? So I had to open an app just to make sure that there's money there. Because clearly money at my, my core FI were deducted, but the balance is not increasing. Hmm. Ultimately, I had to wait for four days, I think, for the money wow. to clear and actually end up in an account. And from my perspective, it's not that I needed money right away. I'm, I'm more fortunate on this side, at least in this example. But the fact that um, I don't know where the money is. Yeah. And I think that lack, lack of trust. You didn't wire it internationally, right? Uh, uh, no, no, no. It, it wasn't was a, a correspondent thing. No, yeah. It was an exactly. ACH pool or ACH right. debit. 
but I think it takes them, if I'm a new customer, it takes them a while to, to mm. get used to me, to make sure that I'm a legit. Uh, the second thing is they need to, they need to, whether it's a plot or some type of integration with, um, um, as they call it, open banking API, they had to authenticate me. Mm -hmm. it, it all takes time. And then ultimately they don't want to post funds right away or make funds available. Uh, they want to wait for it just a little bit. Plus, the weekend didn't help. Um, mm -hmm. Anyway, it's ended up, I think, four days that's uh, wow. in transit money, which I, you don't know where the money is. Is it going to hit? Right. Is there some sort of issue? Uh -huh. And um, I can only imagine if I live paycheck to paycheck, and I've, we've all been there, right? It's student days. And now, thankfully, I'm fortunate enough not to worry about uh, a, a little bit, worry less a, bit, a little bit about it. But there were days where I had to pay rent or where there were days that I had to pay a bill. And um, it, it was the, the time to, to money sure. uh, as, as I open it. It can make a difference. Do you see, Tim, that many of the initial um, real-time payments use cases will be gated and, and be charged for? As you mentioned, that it's sort of a revenue opportunity for the originator? Yeah, that's a great question. I think we've seen three... Uh, let's stick to pay outside. I think it, it depends on why you... So on a pool side, Think of card acceptance, think of request for payment, and et cetera. It's all about capturing deposits. And generally, what are we seeing? Or paying paying off liability. And generally, what we're seeing, there's really no fees associated with that with those transactions. On the payout side uh, or disbursement side, we generally see three different models. Um, model A is monetized. So let's say a transaction costs me 50 cents, I'm going to charge $1.50. Um, because ultimately it's deposit leaving my ecosystem and I want to make sure that I somehow make like some the money. Venmo example you give the Venmo example. Yeah. Then if you look at the, the second uh, bucket of activities or of well, positioning in the market of real time payments going to be around cost recovery and a cost recovery will be all around. So let's, if transaction costs me 50 cents, then I'm going to charge 50 cents. I'm going to keep satisfied, satisfied, satisfied customer but I have no intention of making money because my actually core somewhere else. And to give you a good name, uh, Uber probably would be one of them. So I think Uber uh, allow access instantly to the drivers. And in that case, I, I don't think they charge buck 50, they charge 50 cents or something like that, which ultimately cover the cost of acceptance, uh, not the acceptance, cost of payments itself uh, and all underlying activities. Then the last model is, uh, I would call it a, a cost optimization. And in that case, think of a check replacement. Checks still is big, big payment medium in the United States. Uh, but anytime I issue a check, it's cost me probably, let's say, buck 50 to five. It depends on who you, who you to which research you're reading. And it could be even more because there's a shipment cost if checked wasn't delivered and it was too small for me to even react to and I didn't bother to follow up. Uh, let's say it's a $3 rebate of some sort. In that case, um, it becomes as a, as in ratio to the actually value of the ticket, it can be very high. Uh, but let's assume it's cost three bucks for a sake of example. So in that case, if the real-time payment costs 50 cents, then you're actually saving money. You're creating a better experience for consumer. You're saving yourself money. Uh, in that case, it's actually a free solution. That's what we see, at least from a market placement. That's a good Our way to think about it. About it. And, and do you think over time there'll be downward pressure on on pricing around around real time payments? Um, I don't necessarily know. There's still just a core organic cost to carrying those payments that will always there's exist. A, there's, a, oh. there's a core cost uh, that's for sure. I think we might see some a little bit of pressure. Well, actually, I think same day ACH is going to be in trouble. Um, just 
they kind of pricing ourselves themselves out of market. Now, same day ACH today at least have um, ubiquity, right? Every bank account that I can I can reach via same day ACH. I think RTP is in the early days. Uh, I think TCH or RTP by TCH claims that they have about 65% reach. Um, it depends on the demographics that a company or an enterprise servicing. If you look at the fairly established folks that tend to bank with the big financial institutions, then RTP probably will provide you with sufficient coverage. If you think about folks who are uh, banks with credit unions and beyond, more regional players, uh, a lot of those banks today do not participate in RTP. Therefore, you back to ACH if the, if the consumer chosen ultimately the form factor of bank account and the routing number. Now, the only rail, I think, RTP rail in today's world um, that is available in the US is push to card. And that rail is pretty much ubiquitous. I think they're 99 plus percent coverage in the US for, of all accounts. Um, so in that case, um, so ACH, for, ACH, same day ACH will absolutely will be impacted. Um, I, I think there's going to be maybe a little bit of pressure, but I, I, I fundamentally believe it just like today in a consumer space, you and I, once in a while we use cash, right? I have two young kids, so I have to give them five bucks here and there. Um, we continue to use ACH, my, my previous example. Um, the RTP is starting to get more traction in certain verticals. So is push to card actually probably again, the largest, I'm gonna call it RTP at the moment, um, medium that is available in the United States. So all, all those rails will coexist. Um, will there pressure, there are certain, use, I think it's all driven by use case. Right? In, in case where time to money is important, they'll continue to write through uh, real time payments. If the timing is not important, then it's probably will default to ACH. And ACH generally is cheaper. Tim, it's been great speaking to you today. Thanks for joining us on the Tearsheet Podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me.